own time with me, Bob Dylan. I would listen to the Bob Dylan gaming podcast. Bob Dylan, I was going to come a little bit like... Asian Bob Dylan? Oh, God, no, I was kind of going for Papa Lazarus, but that's probably just as racist. Hello and welcome to the Darth Souls podcast, episode number 93. We're going to be talking about some video games, we ladies are. and gents. The it's, Sexy Brutal. We are going to be answering a very interesting question, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about a game from my childhood, which we just played. Yes. Constructor. Constructor. Which is grim and in I wonder, many ways. And I don't think it made it to America, so this is a rare treat for our little fans across the little old ocean. The Yankadoodles, in as we town. call you, in behind your back. I'm so sorry. Let's talk about Sexy Royale. Sexy Royale. The Sexy... The sexy Royale, Brutal. Sexy, the sexy, yeah, you keep confusing me, but I'm like, is that what it is? So this was a game we both played a little bit of last week, and we decided, let's go and go away, play it, come on back, talk about it. And I was slightly disappointed by it, only because the direction the game took was not the one I was hoping for. I was kind of hoping for this for this mechanical thing about about kind of having layers of complexity to do with rewinding and revisiting times and changing things, butterfly effect stuff. Because for those who don't know, basically we'll go back to the start. Do you want to explain vaguely what it is? Yeah, sure. So Sexy Brutal is a game set in a fabulously, uh, luxuriously appointed casino hotel where all of the guests at this party are being killed off by the staff, and you are a, a kind of ghost who is uh, trying to save their lives by pottering around, changing time, rewinding again, playing again, rewinding again, like in a sort of Groundhog Day style. Yeah, so basically it's kind of like a, a almost like a point-and-click adventure, but you, car- you control a little character with a control pad, you go around and you select things, and the puzzles are all quite simple, um, but a lot of the game revolves around going and spying on people, listening to conversations, and working out how you need to kind of change the fates of these people. And you kind of watch these people get murdered over and over again and keep restarting the day to try and save them. And vitally, once they are dead, if you failed to save them, um, or you're just on a playthrough where you don't care about one particular character dying, you can go to their corpse, get their invitation, and read their lovely backstory. Yes. In an unlockable. Now, now, out of the gate, I want to say that I did some research as to why this game has such an interesting style. Um, I don't suppose you know this, but did you know it's ex-Lionhead devs? I did, yes. Lionhead developers released from under Peter Molyneux's skirts have scattered out and proved that, yes, sure enough, they are deeply talented people, but also... A lot of the asset creation was done in Spain. Yeah, which which doesn't surprise me. It has a very Hispanic feel. Uh, yes, and I enjoyed that. Like, immediately to me, it felt very unusual and its own creation, and that I responded very well to. Yes, I love the art design. I really do. And I really enjoy the fact that, obviously, all of the characters who are here at this masked kind of dinner ball, they're, everyone's wearing a mask. Yeah. And all of the characters look very... It really actually does what masks are supposed to do in this theme, anyway. This traditional, almost like you don't know what kind Venetian of person style you're of, talking to. It kind of makes everyone look a bit frightening in their own way. It makes everyone look inhuman and, and a bit strange. But then it has this moment that when you eventually, when you save each character, they take their mask off. I found myself. And I love it. I but the the detailing and the love that's been put into the character models is such that when they take their mask off, I was fascinated by the the caricature face underneath. Exactly. Like, what do they look like? And suddenly. It softened them, and I love that. That often a lot of the characters are faintly unlikable or strange. Not all of them, but some of them. And then when you actually see the masks removed, and you you get a sense for the the person you've just saved. I've really really enjoyed that. Well, that's also the only point in the game where your character talks to anyone. Yes. So it's a fabulous little reward that when you save someone, they take off their mask and you see that, but then they talk to you. And in talking to you, 
you find out not just about your character, but your relationship with them. Yeah. So I was looking forward to saving people because I got another sliver of information. Um, some lovely stuff that we won't spoil, but the when you save the musician, what happened next, I found super charming. Yeah. Uh, there is some incredibly touching stuff, actually, especially early. Uh, I, I found that some of the, and I think especially it gets away with with how grown up it is and you kind of it catches you off guard I think I think the art style and the fact that especially these characters are kind of squat and chunky and strange but still quite from afar quite childlike in, in the designs yeah um, and then in a way I found that that actually caught me off guard and the fact that the deaths are not um, well some of the deaths are quite pantomime but some of them aren't some yeah. of them are just really grim and horrible and, and watching them happen is just unpleasant and similarly like even just the luchador wrestler who you have to save who's like kind of a bouncer but he happens to wear a luchador mask um if you read his backstory you know there's a stripe of very adult and thoughtful storytelling through sexy brutal that bouncer his backstory is like yeah he used to be an alcoholic but he found that in being a bouncer and throwing himself into his work which is protecting his uh, his romantic partner as a bodyguard he was able to use his addictive personality to do something that was less self-destructive. Mm. You're reading about this being like, oh my God, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's who I'm saving. All right, I'm quite interested in saving yeah, this person. Yeah, it's surprisingly real for a game which is patently not in many, many ways. It's very interesting, but I think you and I ended up, as much as we we did enjoy it, I, I've, I enjoyed it, I felt it was worth the money. I enjoyed the experience. I know that like you're quite close to finishing it, but I haven't, and I have. Yes. Um, I think that, and it's funny, like, it's, I even tweeted actually being like, just finished it. It was a really enjoyable thing. Um, you know, really clearly inspired by, um, by Gregory Horror Show in many ways. And it was funny that actually the devs quite quickly afterwards were like, yep, that game's amazing. And it's like, yeah, cool. And I'm kind of glad that, you know, they, they clocked that and they recognize that because I did enjoy it a lot. But um, just personally, because I have played Gregory Horror Show and finished that game, I found that lots of the Lots of the stuff it does towards the end, I found the impact of didn't really land for me because it was very similar to Gregory Horror Show. But in many ways, I kind of feel like with this, it's like it's an old PS2 game. It's an old, quite clunky at times PS2 game that's that's fiddly to get through. I mean, I think we can, yeah, the amount of people who've actually played that game exactly. is vanishingly small. So, exactly. I mean, it's, so it, you know, I, I'm I'm happy. I, I'm not I'm not being like oh they've copied it, but I'm actually really happy. That no, some taken ideas, these ideas are so and they've, good. They've put them out there again. And I, I, I can totally see why lots of people who've finished this game have gone, oh, wow, and really been not for six about the stuff it does. But for me, it was just like, I kind of not only saw it coming, but I'd also I'd seen it before. Well, sure, but outside of, you know, uh, selfish is the only word. No, of course. Reachable, but outside of like that, aren't you happy to see this thing again? If oh, no, it was absolutely. So and that's, that's what I'm saying. It's not criticism at all. It's, li- it's literally just like it didn't land for me. And I'm just saying this just so basically it's like, hey, if you if you play Gregory Horror Show, then like you'll enjoy it's an enjoyable game, but it won't like okay it won't be such a thing but if you haven't like it's really cool so the thing that i found a bit disappointing in a game that is very strong i i recommend anyone who's interested uh buy it if they want a really quite sweet story it's a five hour thing really if you want to take some time to really go around and collect the things and for me collectibles don't really have any draw in a game like this they do for me in this because i enjoy the backstory you get with every collectible oh no no but you you Mm, yeah, oh. you yeah, know you do actually. Yeah, you unlock bits of information about the the building with cards and stuff. But I mean, the playing cards. There's you know 52 playing cards to collect, and yeah, um, yeah. If you want to kind of drain a bit more and read everything, you know, probably going to be about six or seven. But really, it's a it's quite a short experience, which is great. Yeah, sure. Um, so, but here's um, where my criticism comes in: is when they set up that map and they show you that you can 
As soon as you see anyone walk around the mansion, they are permanently stamped yes, on your yes. map with all the little heads running around. And uh, once you're introduced to some of the puzzling, as a player, you immediately think, oh, wow, this looks yeah. almost identical to Hitman. It's giving me a lot of different tools to do a lot of clever things. These puzzles are going to get very nuanced, and I'm going to yeah. feel very clever. But actually, um, in terms of pure puzzle design, uh, Sexy Brutale felt to me like a proof of concept more than a full game. Yeah. I would get an item, and then it would be relatively self-explanatory where to use that. I was never sort of... Um, I'm pretty 75% of the way through, and I have, I've yet to be tested, essentially. No, I mean, and that's actually like, in a sense, it's fine. It's one of those things where I, it works. Because- it's okay, because the I think what's far worse a crime is any adventure game where I'm banging my head against a stupid exactly. puzzle. I would exactly. rather have easy puzzles than bad ones, but I'd rather have good puzzles than easy ones. This is the thing with it. Basically, it's, it's almost like a little one-two. It's a little bit of trickery here because basically it's a game that got me interested in it because of this, like, kind of the the, the gimmick of this rewinding time, the theatre element (laughs) of it. And then actually it's not that kind of game, I never thought of it as something to excite gamers before, but that's an interesting point. The idea of going, hey, look at all these cool systems, and then the game... Halfway through, you go, ah, oh, I'm interested in the story you're telling me now, but yeah. I mean, I'm and not that's, using these systems. And that's my only criticism of the game as well, is the fact that it's like it's not exactly what I wanted, which isn't really a criticism. It's more a narrative experience. And towards the end of the game, at a point where I hoped I'd start to have to be doing it, by that point, I was like, oh, I'll be doing really complicated things with time and the, like circumstances. And in reality, that stuff very much um, peels away to become a very narrative thing. And actually, the only points I've got stuck, and it has been frustrating, actually, there have been a a couple of points where I've just I've known what I have to do and I've had to do a lot of stuff in one day and I've I've not managed to do it all like I've just missed the deadline yeah so I had it like happen where there was one point where I had to restart the day three times because I was like I kept thinking I had enough time to do stuff and then actually didn't okay and that was partly my fault because you have the opportunity to like slightly fast forward the day and I'm like well I'll just fast forward to four and I'll be able to do it all from four and it was like no actually you've not you've just not got enough time like okay. with that so that was kind of annoying where it was like I know how to do the puzzle. And like, you know, and it does that also thing that some puzzle games do of, you know, you already know what the deal is, but it's like, it forces you to actually physically see something happening so that you can then do something, you know, and that kind of like, ah, yes. you know, when it's like the classic puzzle game thing of when you are one step ahead and you're trying to solve the puzzle, but it expects you to explicitly know something that you do know, but the game hasn't registered that you know yet. So you kind of can't. Right. Yeah. Um, which is fine. But again, it's like, I realized towards the end, it's like, oh, the reason this has remained a very simple puzzle game where it's very easy to execute is because it's a narrative experience and it's all about trundling on to get through the story because it is very much a game where the last 10% has some has some big story payoffs. Sure. Um, I, I think it's just so funny to me to have the... Because so many of the systems are in place and they all work. Like it's a... You know, it's a relatively bug... Relatively bug-free. I've encountered no bugs. It's all very smooth. The user interface when you open the menu is wonderful and it, you just have all these tools at your disposal and it feels... I can't remember the last time I played a game which has all these tools that have been built by the programmers and art designers that you just don't use. Yeah, you You don't use them often either. I mean, there's things like there are tools that are open up effectively like extra stuff. Like a lot of the things are just like so you can go and collect more of the cards or go and like get slightly more backstory. I would have really liked to see them open it up because I think that's it. It's, It's a great toolbox and then they never really open it up. Yeah. Which is a shame because there was a hell of a lot of stuff going on there. Even the fact that like once you've saved a person, if you then go and save them again, um, it kind of pops up and explains to you like, oh, 
there's no point in doing that. Like you need to just concentrate on saving some new people. So I was hoping there would be some puzzles that might involve different ways to save the same person. Well, I wouldn't have minded that so much, but I, what I would have liked to see is like, maybe if you save someone early in the day, then they will then carry on doing something. So there might be a circumstance where you need to save someone to make something happen so that they're still alive, but there's none of that. But this is what I'm talking about. Once you start unlocking the abilities, um, because when you save someone, you get their mask and you get their power, you start realizing, oh, you you start second guessing what the game is about to do. And you go, oh my God, you're going to give me a mask like halfway through this game, which makes saving another character really easy. So I save them in a different way and then they'll go on to do something different because they never did X, Y, Z. And you you telescope out and you see the game as a spider web when it's not really a spider web. It's actually like a piece of string. Yes. Um, which, yes, I did find disappointing. But on the other hand, that simplicity is maybe going to make this game a lot more playable to people who don't play many games. And people will finish it, which is a thing. Like, I, yeah. I kind of respect that actually, like, it personally disappointed me because it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And also on another level, like, these days I'm more interested in games that are mechanically interesting. Sure. I mean, there are, if I do point to games that have truly great stories, it's often stuff that you can only do in that medium. Yes, absolutely. I think about not even grand stories, but moments in stories which is a lot easier to reach for in video games. And I think about Brothers, which has a great uh, moment, couple actually. I think about, you know, Gone Home. I yeah. think about um, people who are pushing the medium forward with, I mean, even Bioshock's twist is not terrible because it's at least unique to games. Yes, absolutely. And th- th- there is great stuff, that don't get me wrong. It's just that I find that I've just, I'm, I'm a little bit more desensitized to it. And also, like, you know, a lot of the time when people talk about games having great stories, often the games that people really remember that they felt most emotionally attached to are from longer games. Like, I, I, I was really into Final Fantasy X, like, even though lots of people think it's rubbish. But the, the thing with that, I think it's been kind of slightly infringed upon with my knowledge of psychology for my degree and the fact that it's like, well, yeah, but the reason you love these characters so much is because you've spent, like, 60 hours with them. Did you like, finish um, Metal Gear Solid Four? No, it has. A, I'm, it's it's long enough now that I'm going to spoil it. Feel free to press plus thirty seconds on the podcast player four times if you don't want to hear me spoil. Sure, Metal Gear Solid Four. But um, the plot of that is a lot of uh, to do with you're older. Kojima is older. He's aware that the player base of the game is older, and it was meant to be the last Metal Gear Solid game um, before Konami pulled him back in. So um, it's about the end of an era and towards the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 old wizened grey salt and pepper head snake goes back to Shadow Moses the original base from the very first Metal Gear Solid game and when you arrive um, MGS4 immediately switches into uh, PSX graphics engine and you are the original old snake like as if you were playing emulated Metal Gear Solid Um, but in this future uh, timeline occurrence um, Shadow Moses is deserted there's no one there so you kind of walk through the base and then it kind of switches back into current time and you're just alone. You're an old man in an empty base. And the whole point is you can never go home again. You know, it's a flashback to your past and the game says, do you remember playing this when you were 15 or yeah. 14? And then it jumps you into the future and you're an old man in a snowy base with no enemies. And it's like, yeah, well, that's the history and you can't go back. Also, it, it tests you to see if you can still do that first level again. And huh. um, when you get caught by a guard, I think that's when it jumps forward in time. So that's that's another interesting example of um, you know a game playing with time. I think that's the thing, actually. Like when I say this, 
what I mean is, like, games can do really, really interesting things, and they can do stuff with narrative and story that other we mediums ha- can't, and that are better. We have a great question coming up at the end of this podcast that I'm to do with exactly this. Yes, that I'm really excited about. Talking uh, I about. think what I'm talking about is that when games, when the delivery mechanism of the story in a game is VO or text that you read, mm-hmm. I find that that unless the setup is is right for it that is when it starts to fall down a little bit in terms of being quite the same quality. So I find that's often because the VO quality will not be up to scratch. Like the, the quality of the VO will just not be as good as it would be in, say, a film, which would like lets down the experience for me. Or in the case of Sexy Brutale, has a lot of plot, but it's in a lot of pop-up text boxes that you have to skip through. And I think I found it was this thing of like, I kind of got the idea and it was taking its time to talk me through things and taking its time to say things that I was like, if it was a book, I would have been reading it a lot more quickly. And I find sometimes if when you don't have control over the pace like that, sometimes oh my god, I, well, it's a strange thing. On your recommendation, I'm now playing Ghost Trick yes. for the DS, and this and that is a game that is indescribably guilty of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's got that manga thing where um, it introduces a setup. For example, ghosts exist for one night and then they're gone forever. So the whole game takes place over one night because you're a ghost. Um, but then it has characters discussing the ramifications of that of going but I'll just be around for one night, but that means I only have one night to solve the mystery. <laughs> and then boxes and boxes and boxes of this. And it's, yeah, it's it's very, very tediously slow. That's true. But Although I will say one thing about Ghost Trick, which is interesting, is it, it does like really hammer in like a lot of the, like, the mechanics of how the world works yes. in terms of the text. It does kind of keep going, this is exactly how what's happening works. And that does become relevant because towards the end of the game, it starts to do some really quite weird and complex stuff that I think... So that's one of these weird cases where I'm like, I kind of let them off because if it hadn't done that, there would be way too many people who would just go, what's going on? Because <laughs> it starts oh, to do I some see. strange stuff that you kind of really, really need to know like what the premise and setup is. Otherwise, you'd just be like, I'm lost. I'm looking forward to getting to the end of that. Um, but in defense of text boxes, I will say that two of our favorite narrative games of the last couple of few years... Um, which would be um, 80 Days mm-hmm. and also Sunless Sea, mm-hmm. two of just absolutely exquisite narrative games, but those are barely more than text boxes. No, yeah. Um, so text- I think it's a, It's not like a, I'm talking about the flow of it, like choosing oh, the flow. Oh, you just mean the pace of yeah. which text is delivered. Yes, and I think you can get away with that sometimes. Like I, I still remember like the whole thing with, well, the whole thing with Twine. And the whole thing with like uh, Lost Odyssey, which I loved, was a lot. The best thing about that game was the stories, and they were delivered to you with like a fixed pace, accompanied, yeah, and accompanied by sounds and the words coming in in strange ways and and shimmering and doing odd things to emphasize words. And that was literally like it was you were being read to, so that controlled the pace. But I think also it was like. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's really hard to describe. Well, I wonder if, if video games have always tried to emulate movies, and when you play AAA video games, you know, often the cutscenes are lacking something compared to a film. But I wonder if game designers wouldn't have, or, and script writers and, and mocap artists and God knows what else is involved these days. Um, I wonder if they wouldn't have more luck studying radio plays. Yeah. Um, because that is a medium where you know that you only have someone's attention for audio. They are tremendously crackly and pacey and fast. Um, because you just can't mess around in a radio play, otherwise people will lose their mind. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. Narrative in video games, eh? When will it be solved? When will those darned narratives come back in? Matt, do you think anyone has talked about narratives in video games before? No, never. So uh, we'll be coming back to some other stuff uh, <laughs> in a little while uh, on next podcast. I still haven't got. I still haven't managed to do more with Nier Automata because I got distracted by Sexy Brutal. Um, there will be a video 
about when's this go? Oh, yeah, there'll be a video about the signal from Tolva, yes, which we talked about a lot in the last podcast. And if you go on to Cool Ghosts now, uh, CoolGhost.net, you will be able to watch that video. I made a video about the signal from Tolva. Oh, nice! Uh, which will be on the site now, and it's great. Yeah, it's, I haven't it's, seen um, it yet. I'm sure it's good though. It'll be good. I haven't made it yet. This is <laughs> weird reverse. I'm going away on. I'm, I'm going away on my honeymoon. It's a much belated thing, which means I'm trying to record some stuff in advance. So the timelines are distorted. Batman. I, Batman doesn't do that. There's does he? one more video game uh, for me to talk about that I've been playing uh, sure. this week. I got a robot vacuum. That's not a video game. It's basically a video game. It's basically a crazy control. You can control is it, it like, like an RC car. Is it like dusters? Duskers. Duskers. Well, actually... Because it's quite similar, right? I remember that um, Tim Keenan, who made Duskers, did do a live-action Duskers. He made, like, robot... With a robot Hoover. He attached cameras to them and had someone build a labyrinth in his house and then players could use the Duskers input to control the robots. Do you remember when we went to the house of the... What's his name? The man who made the Lego games, who does Game City in Nottingham? Oh, Jonathan Smith. We were kindly invited to Jonathan Smith's house and they had a garden full of games, which they were testing for the Nottingham Game Festival, basically testing kind of real analogue games to see what was fun and what wasn't. Yeah. And um, I remember one of those games was wonderful. It was like, a, it was a, oh, a, yes, that a was small really remote control car with a tiny fisheye lens, like crap quality, but that was perfect for I don't it. think it was a remote control car. I think it was someone holding a camera low to the ground. Oh God, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So it, yeah, it was kind of like somebody with a tiny camera, but with a kind of um, giving it that proper tilt shift look. So it became this wonderful thing of somebody holding a tiny camera really close to the ground, and it was a lo-fi monochrome view. And we were on these radios, and we were basically controlling. They were like, oh, the manual controls for the drone are down, so you need to like... I think it wasn't it a tiny alien that had crash-landed on the planet, and we were radioing it instructions to go and get a battery. Yeah, so we back. were like, go forward, like, look like east or whatever. Like, and, but it was this wonderful thing of it. It made it look like, basically, it was on the ground with all these twigs and bushes, but it made it look like all of these... They had a couple of man-made props they put in to change the scale and made it look like this tiny bit of like plants and shrubbery with like these gigantic trees and rocks and, <laughs> and this yeah. idea we were controlling like a moon ranger looking for a crashed alien pod or something and that, was, that was awesome it was basically no man's sky but instead of having any kind of digital component it was just a live feed from a camera and then us two with a radio going go forward yeah you play it in your very own home kids. it was genuinely a bit scary which was amazing because we were looking for a crashed like alien or something and i was like i kept i kept having to remind myself that the footage i was looking at was just a man in a bush about five feet away from us such was the power of your imagination yeah i remember another game that we tested on that day was um it was a simple text adventure that you played with a oh yeah with a keyboard but you did it in a shed you did it in a shed and the plot of the text adventure was that you are trapped in a prison and you have to try and get out and uh, as you play this text adventure, it becomes clear that one of the puzzles you can do, because you have a magnifying glass and uh, there's a sunbeam that comes through the window at a certain time of day, and you realize you have some rags so you can burn the rags. But then as soon as you input the, you know, burn rags command, um, someone's like, <laughs> someone turned on a smoke machine that was yeah. hidden in the room. And fill the smoke. <laughs> and so you start gassing yourself as you start the fire, but then the text adventure starts going, the smoke is choking you and all this stuff. And then eventually when you do escape the prison, the door opens and you run out the shed. And you're back in a party. Wasn't it like a kind of thing of, it was a semi, like, a semi-human sex yes, adventure? Yes, uh, that game was a test of their software where um, someone is sat on the other side. So rather than talking to a parser, you're talking to a real person who writes real descriptions in real time. Yeah. 
So it's someone who's, if you type look around, the person types you are in. Well, they copy and paste, presumably. They did copy and paste, yeah. I mean, because come on, otherwise you'd be like, oh, come on. (laughs) But it meant that it was a text adventure where you could type or do anything. You could ask anything and yeah, you would get an answer. You could type dance and then they would... uh, They'd make something up. Yeah. You ever play Isle, which was a text adventure, um, A-I-S-L-E. This is worth Googling and playing, actually. Okay. Um, It's called Isle, and all it is is it's a text adventure that starts with you. You're in a supermarket in an aisle, and you see um, a girl you used to fancy, I think. Oh, no. And it says, says, what do you do? And you can- Hide him with the Finder's crispy pancakes. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) If you type hide, it will then respond to you, because this was a a one-move game. So all the designer had done- You got one move. Yeah, you no. You if you type hide, it gives you the ending for hide, and that's the end oh, of the game. Oh wow! So it's all the game is is someone has come up with about three hundred verbs that someone might type, and it's three hundred different endings. So you can hide. You can. I think one of the happier endings comes from you typing laugh. That's like an extension of pod, isn't it? Like pod. Uh, pod. It was the BBC thing that was like BBC microcomputer program that was like pod just looked like a round red thing. It was like a, t- a sentient tomato, <laughs> and. Uh, we had it at school. I don't remember this at all. We had it at school on the computer, and it was like it was to teach kids to um, words to teach teach kids to words. Um, obviously, <laughs> was, the program I, was clearly a great success. It was huge success time. <laughs> um, but yeah, then basically you would say like pod walk, and then he would like do a crap little walk animation. Pod run, and you run. Pod swim on pod a screen. Fly. This is not like a real physical. Tomato. Yeah, no, it's not like you have to move away from what we've just been talking about. It's not a teacher dressed up as a tomato. I wish it was. But it was great because as kids, you'd, you'd think you'd found it all. And then somebody like a few weeks later, somebody'd be like, pod eats. And you'd be like, let's try it. And you'd do it. And he'd be like, because <laughs> you'd like unlock some new animation. And that was the whole thing. There was okay. nothing more. But every now and then, like you'd think you'd seen them all. And then someone would be like, I've got an idea. And you're like, what? And the pod flies. And you're like, don't be stupid. Because <laughs> a lot of them you type in, they're like, nah, nothing. But they'd be like, oh my God, it's flying. But that was hugely entertaining when I was like, presumably about, Five kids these days have the internet. Yeah, right. What are they going to grow up like? Um, bad. Let's talk about our own childhoods, eh? Yes. Don't step on my child. So, I sure stepped on a child this week. Who mama? People who visit coolghosts.net might have seen the video of Matt and I playing Constructor. Constructor, yeah. This is a game from a very different era. And a different country if you're not from the United Kingdom. Yes. So Constructor is the era of theme park and theme hospital, Mm -hmm. which were also made by an English company known as Bullfrog. And people might be aware, if they played those games back in the day, while they were seminal in inventing the the sim roller coaster genre or the um, the sim uh, business management genre, you know, drag and drop rooms and rides and all that mm-hmm. great stuff that people still love today, um, they also had an edge of cynicism. We were talking on our constructive video about how um, theme park is all fun and games, literally, until you have to negotiate with unions for your staff. And similarly, Theme Hospital had some dark stuff, didn't it? Yeah, Theme Hospital was just grim. It was like, you know, you just... If you got rats, then you just had to shoot them with a gun. And also, like... In a hospital. Yeah. like I see, I didn't play Theme Hospital. Wow. I just played Big Pharma. Oh, wow. It's, theme Hospital is so much better than Big Pharma. At some point for childhood, I'm going to take you to Theme Hospital. And I think you'll love it. I'm sure I will. But um, it's because it's legitimately a really good game. But the thing about Theme Hospital was, it was basically, you were running a business. That was the crucial thing. Like It wasn't like you were saving people's lives for any reason other than money. It was never, there was never even any intonation of it. It was never any like, oh, you know, you're doing, you're doing good. You know, even if you managed to run a hospital without any deaths, 
Um, the main reason you're happy about that is because at the end of the year, you get like a £10,000 cash bonus. Like, you know, it wow. wasn't like... And so the the darkest thing I think about Theme Hospital was the um, kind of... I can't remember what they called, but there was a moment where it'd be like, oh my God, we've got like eight people with ruptured spleens, like, and can you deal with them? And you've only got like two days to deal with it. And you'd be like, ah, and basically it was this thing of they'd say like, look, we've got this number of people who have this thing. Can you treat all of these people in a certain amount of time? If you can and you do it, then you get a big kind of cash bonus and like a reputation bonus. But if you fail, then these people just die. And so, it, but it was really just taking a risk and you'd be like, you're like, oh, we need like, you know, five major heart surgeries or something. And you'd be like, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, I've got one surgery, <laughs> but I could maybe, I could maybe, I'm, I was thinking about building a second surgery table. I'll do that. And then you've got these people, they turn up, like you've got these five people sit on a bench outside the room waiting for this heart surgeon. You're trying to construct a second surgery. You, you know, you, it's not really, it's taking a while. And then you're trying to hire a second heart surgeon, but the only one available is kind of cheap and rubbish. And I mean, I... He keeps taking breaks. <laughs> and then you've got these three people just sitting, patiently waiting for their life-saving surgery while this, this clock around their head ticks around and you don't do it in time and it gets to the end and they just die. People just die. The Grim Reaper, they literally just fall flat on their face walking around, dump, and then the Grim Reaper appears and their ghost comes out and they... Well, sometimes their little angels come off and they go to heaven and sometimes the Grim Reaper comes and takes them to hell. Really? Yeah. But it was literally a game where you were like, when people died nice in your hospital. Of, nice bit of Judeo-Christianity in your video game there. <laughs> when people died, you were just annoyed because you were like, oh, damn it. Because it was bad for your reputation. It was bad for business. Um, yeah. And also we do that thing of being like, uh, we've got a, you know, a 78% chance that we know the exact cure for this type of this illness. And you'd be like, yeah, go for it. And if you got it wrong, then like they died. But if you got it right, money. Ching. So, and people were pissed off as, you know, if you basically said that we can't treat you. So if you got this thing where it's like, we've got a 75% chance that we can cure this person. If you went, nah, sorry, you're going to have to go home. People were angry and it affected your reputation in the hospital. But the only other option is just to go, well, we'll either wait for more research or just treat you now and hope that you don't die. I was reading a book about the history of maggots in uh, healthcare. Oh, not, it's not just about maggots in healthcare. It's, it's um, oh... Sugar. It's Grunt by Mary Roach, which is a book about. It's uh, <laughs> amazing. Mary Roach is great. She does. She has a book on corpses. She has another on your guts. It's a um, perfect name, Mary Roach. She's phenomenal science writer. But yeah, uh, she has a chapter in this book on Grunt, which is about war, about um, the first doctor to discover that like maggots clean wounds. Yeah, and still maggot medical maggots are in use today. Yeah, they're a very specific kind of maggots, and you do have to change them a lot. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about this, aside from the fact that it's that uh, it requires some very specific circumstances for someone to figure this out in the first place. Yeah. Uh, the idea, we like to, humans like to think of healthcare as very solid, robust, safe systems, but the reality is a lot more dirty and confusing. I mean, I have to bear in mind, you have to bear in mind that like all of the illnesses and stuff in um, the hospital, majority of them were silly. They were things like bloaty head disease. I've seen screenshots of bloaty uh, head or disease. Or hairyitis or... I think my my favourite one is because it's kind of a real thing, just the squits. And, uh, and the squits are something you get from eating pizza that found underneath an oven. So <laughs> it's one of the descriptions. So it's basically just the... So in some ways, it, in many ways, it was just very funny of it being like somebody turns up with the squits and then you give them the wrong medicine and they die and you're a hospital, fine. But Constructor was 
odd. It kind of felt like it was coming off the back okay, of those so, successes. So we're on Constructor now. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yes, Constructor, which people are much less likely to have heard of, is a game about building in the manner of SimCity, except it's not SimCity. It's much smaller scale than that. It's like Sim, uh, what you call in the UK, like a council estate or like a shitty town. Although it's it's low-quality English town simulator. Yeah. You're building not like tens of houses, but like individual houses. Uh-huh. Um, and it's competitive. It is basically a real-time strategy city city building game. Yeah, it's which a, hasn't really been done before. It's like you've got a bunch of different councils all competing, like Star Wars. Yes, except instead of Star Wars, it's like the it's instead of you know Hoth, it's like Padbury, and instead of uh, Dagobah, I think you summed it up Black, best when Blackwater. when you said at some point in the uh, video, you basically said this is like Viz. It's like if a Viz comic became a video game because it really is like that and it's quite bad because like we had to when we were recording I had to at one point like just let you play it for about 10 minutes so you could get ahead of it well that's just strategy game but no it's a slow it's a slow game it's quite slow yeah but even then like you don't see a lot of the stuff and the fact that really it does to begin with it just seems quite nasty because it's just punching it just seems to be punching down and just basically being like making yes. people in council houses look like fat idiots. Well, this is the thing. You have individual tenants. You, you When you build a rubbish house, because you're at the bottom of the tech tree initially, who do you put in it? Well, it's a it's a rubbish. It's a, it's a, it's a very impoverished person. Yeah, and then after that, you can then have like uh, hippies and punks, right? Yep. And then, uh, then you can get some murderers in there yeah. and, then, <laughs> and we'll get to those in a moment. But then eventually you get to the middle classes and eventually like super upper crust. So it does, punch everybody yeah but initially because of the structure of the game and also unfortunately because it's a really hard game even if you play on the easiest difficulty setting playing the computer you often won't see a lot of the upper tech stuff so it does just seem to be a game that's making fun of poor people (laughs) which is bad well it's funny because it's like it is really kind of in a way it was just sort of nastily making fun of of britain and everything in britain but it was interesting because when I was a kid, I just like you, I remember seeing this and thinking it was really cool because it's very subversive and it's very like, you know, you can, it's, it's nasty. You know, like when you have like hippies, you can pay a hippie to go and Pro- I mean, <laughs> protest. You could, they can pick it in like, I remember when I bought my squat, uh, there was a, I, I paid the hippie to go and do a service, which is the point of a hippie. And like you said, you can't buy hippies. And I was like, that's exactly this game's point. You can yeah. pay them to protest anything. Yeah. You see, you can pay hippies to go and cause trouble, basically. And then, but then you get rid of these people by just getting your workmen to just go and beat them up. Well, here's the thing. And I, I've realized now, I didn't realize it when we were recording the video, but actually, structurally, this is a super interesting game. It is. So, because what you have, you have a city building game where you are building houses and you're dragging and dropping, not blocks of houses, but literally like garden fences. You're putting in double glazing so you can have that house that's next to the factory. You're upgrading bathrooms. And all of these people pay rent, which is your income. But the way you attack other people and the way um, that you sort of screw up their engine is you have your your axe murderers, your hippies, your punks, um, and other higher tech stuff that I don't know, who then you can try and, in exactly the same way as Offworld Trading Company, um, except not on Mars and instead in like... It's Mel- more like life on Mars. Melton Mowbray. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. You can pinpoint. Oh, they. If I rec- if I ruin their concrete factory, if I pick it that with a hippie, or if I just go and send the hippie to go and squat in that really nice new house they built. Yeah. So it's a combination of SimCity and a real time strategy game, and then the builders that you use to the construction crews rather that you use to build everything and deliver you know fake plastic trees to people's houses. 
um, those are the people you click and drag and drop like zerglings to go and beat up that hippie. But then you also have the thing then that you need the residents for the money, but then you you have these special residents who you can use to go and cause trouble. Well, they don't pay. You pay them to move in. So you pay the John Wayne Gacy clown murderer to live on your new estate. Yeah, I, I should point out there are actually evil clowns later in the game. He's not just he's not just making that up. Um, but yeah. they're not that that evil, are they? No. I think they're sad. They're, they're more sad than they are evil. Okay, but it's that thing of the tenants don't like these people, do they? You kind of get them kicking up a fuss about hippies moving in. And yes, stuff. if you build a, a a squat with a hippie in next to some of your nice houses, then they'll be upset. So maybe you want to upgrade their their bedrooms. It's not a necessarily a really good game. No, but, I don't think it's a good game at all. But, um, <laughs> but it's quite a good game. I don't know. I think it's like a lot of like really interesting ideas. It's pretty good um, game. It's bad, man. It's bad. Okay. Like, the UI in that game is awful. Like it's so bitty and clicky. And I remember actually I played this when I was a kid. I played the demo and I just found it too hard and too finickety. And it was for me. It was it was kind of a cheap knockoff of a theme game. It was. As excited as well, I was by the idea, it was like it wasn't up to scratch. But it's not cheap. There's no, the weird thing about Constructor is that no part of it is cheap or easy. No, and also I, I think I just didn't appreciate that point. It's actually a bit too complicated for me. I think when I was because I was quite young. Yes. Um. I think I just I bounced off it because it, it was too many. No, things it, to it's keep far in too hard. And like around the same era, I was playing stuff like Dungeon Keeper and Red Alert. So really, really, and it's kind of weird for a game that's like kind of making like trying. to... It doesn't really. As we talked, it's like it's it's weird trying to work out if it's trying to make any kind of point or if it's just doing the the South Park thing of just punching everything. Which I is think it's that kind of weak. I think it's just lashing out at everything. But um, there is a darkness to it that is all of its own because um, it's not just making jokes. It is also you know if it were, if there were lots of games. I think Trailer Park Wars might have been a real time strategy game from the, a similar era that was just like bright lights, big jokes. But Constructor has a through line of like evil. Yeah, it has. If you lose the game, the cutscene you get that genuinely really upset me as a kid is your like um, a middle manager character who runs the estate being uh, be- waking up and he's in a coffin and he's being buried alive. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, and so that is not a joke. That's not them doing something easy. That's them going. Life is really awful. It's very. This place is really awful. Anyway, this place like, yeah. is really awful. Yeah, and it definitely. Yeah, it, it's it, if it's making a statement, it's about um the quality of life in you know like uh economically like disadvantaged English towns. Well, I guess again, this was this was a game which was made by people. Well, I guess it came out in the nineties. Uh, made by people who grew up in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, like, I think people like still had quite strong, fresh memories about the grimness of Britain in those times. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's fascinating in the fact that really it's like, it's it's a, it's a game that's kind of uh, making grubby, poking trouble at class stereotypes and, and class systems and archetypes in England of that time, especially, like, you know, punks and stuff are not as relevant as they were in like the 80s. Right, yeah. Um, but weirdly, the what it ends up like being representative of, to me, is in the same way that like SimCity, the, the the more recent version, I like that in the fact that it, you know, these tight, small cities, I've, I've talked about this a lot in Russia, so I'll keep it very, but the fact that they represented the idea of, well, where does the bad, where do the bad things go? Where do the things you don't want go? And in SimCity, it was oh, about you, like- you're talking about the remake of SimCity? Yeah, the, the recent re-release that came out like, I don't know, four, three, four years ago that yeah. everybody hated. And it had an interesting political uh, sort of, well, all simulation is political. Yeah, exactly. But I, I love that because, because you know, everyone went, I want to make an infinite, big, perfect city. And I like the fact that it was like, no, you make these small cities. And it's like, where does the, you know, where does the garbage go? Where does the pollution go? Like you can have nuclear power, but then where does, 
who has to live next to it? And I like these difficult questions where there was like, there was no real easy answers. Like you could only make imperfect solutions. And I love that because it was, especially living in London, I found it was like really quite affecting for me because this idea of like, you know, this expansion and stuff and cities and how everything being tightly packed together and like everyone complaining when like, you know, Heathrow has a new runway near to you. Like, oh, I don't want planes going over my house. It's like, well, the planes have to go over someone's house. I would love to see uh, a little more analysis um, within the games press and the video games community when simulations like City Skylines come out. Like, uh, just looking at what they're saying, because the designers will have attitudes and those attitudes will be reflected in this quote-unquote simulation and City Skylines being a good example. Like, I think I called it um, in my, in Eula Surfers, the old series I used to do that were roundups of games, I called it 16 gigs of pro-roundabout propaganda. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they really love Roundabouts. roundabouts they they apparently think it fixes everything and maybe it does what do i know they actually have a background in doing like public transportation games but like well that's the thing it was like that if you optimize the traffic routes then your city worked it's like but that's the thing is people love that but it's again got a cold strange way of looking at a city and the idea well if the traffic works then this city would be perfect and if that was true <laughs> then the best place on earth to live would be somewhere like milton Keynes. i guess i don't know if that, uh, traffic is actually that good or bad there. anyway oh no you shouldn't have said that you sounded so confident it was a great line yeah but now i'm like oh, maybe you're complete but it should be because it's a newly built place. So if they messed it up, then God, but they do mess things up, the government. Anyway, what I loved about Constructor, well, well I didn't love, but what I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah, steady on. Let's not get too Let's excited. Let's not get mad. Like, I, don't, I really don't think it's a good game. But um, I found it an interesting representation accidentally of the fact that it was. Like, it doesn't make sense that you have this conflict within a, a council context. And so what I found the context I read from it, really, I think was purely accidental, was this idea of, if it almost being a reflection of war and the realities of, of, of war and soldiers and the fact that you've got this weird system of trying to build a nice little town, but then having to have these people who you need to go and fight these other people, but then having the people, these people who cause trouble, like people don't like that. And about this, this weird discomfort of, of soldiers coming home. And that's what it kind of reminded <laughs> me of, of this thing of like, and that's the thing, like, especially in America and UK and lots of places with big armed forces, like, there is a real thing about them just keeping them out there, keeping them in different places because you kind of, well, in theory, you feel like you need these people, but you don't want them. People don't want to live with them. They I don't mean, want them around. Constructor is a game where one of the best things you can do within its systems is upgrading the fence that all houses are built with into an enormous stone wall. And like, so just so they can't see each other. Yes. And that is the worst possible statement that you could be making about how to build a good community in the world. Yeah, but I mean, that again is very London, right? It's now. very English as well. Like, it's very English. Just, I mean, for those of you who don't know, like there's obviously been a huge amount of uh, construction and regeneration, as they call it in London recently, in terms of knocking down lots of um, affordable housing and replacing it with luxury flats with a tiny bit of affordable housing inside of it so they can meet some sort of quotas. And it's all nonsense. Uh, and, and genuinely evil. But the fascinating thing that's a big selling part for many of these new builds in London is the separate entrances. So you'll have people who are uh, of means and people who are not living in the same building, but will never see each other because they have, like by design, different entrances to the same building. So in a way, Constructor's nastiness is uh, feels a bit on the nose, but is it? Dun, 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 dun. Let's move on to some questions before I become sad. Question time. Hello there. Why don't you relax? Take off those shoes. It's time for a question from you. 
Now we have a question from Morpheus, presumably not Morpheus from The Matrix. Oh, he was cool. He was. If it, if it is you, then hello, like Ma- you. Matthew, do you think you would have taken the red pill or the blue pill? Um... Have you got any of the green one, the apple ones? Oh, the apple ones. That was a really fascinating thing about that being an allegory for for trans uh, transitioning and the fact that blue pill is estrogen. That's interesting. Oh, okay. You read that up, it makes a lot of sense, that context of the film, because obviously now they're both the Wachowski sisters. So that's a good read if you want to go and Google that and find it. I don't know where it is. Anyway, the question is, any thoughts on the similarities in trends in interactive theatre and games that emphasise environmental storytelling? I'm playing my first ever Dark Souls game, playing three, and I can't help see structural parallels to Punch Drunks the Drowned Man, a rich, dark, twisted world with loop narratives, hidden secrets in plain sight, and the way your fellow players or participants affect you. So that's an interesting question. Interactive theatre, eh? What's all that about? Well, let's very quickly, because I'm sure everyone either knows about it or doesn't want to hear about it, talk about Punch Drunk and the Drowned Man. Uh, so Punch Drunk, if we, we don't have to limit it to the Drowned Man for a start. Punch no. Drunk are a theatre company who do interactive theatre, and it is very exciting, and even people who don't like theatre would enjoy it, is the most important thing. This isn't Matt and I dispiring up our own um, patouches. This is just really fun, good stuff. So it's it's a... Well, you went to the Drowned Man. I haven't. I've been to other shows. Why don't you talk about the Drowned Man? Drowned Man was spectacular. I mean, basically, the way you've got to think about it is um, rather than having a... Well, you've got this huge cast of people, basically, and then not a lot of people actually watching the show, maybe a group of like 50 or maybe less, 20, 30. Anyway, you've got a huge building. Imagine a warehouse with five levels, and it's been completely done up with incredibly detailed sets and... um, everything is like a, a miniature town, basically. You go you go between these levels and you go to different parts of a place. I mean, it is basically the set of Sexy Brutal, isn't it? It's basically, I mean, that's it. It's, the thing about Punch Drunk is it, it resembles a video game in a strange way. And the fact that basically these it's characters... It's hyper-real, right? And yet false at the same time. Yes. So the characters um, in the play will just move around, from around the set, running around often doing strange things. And they will go through a play. But the idea with this play is you can follow any of the characters at any point. And so you watch it, and then it, when I saw The Drowned Man, they repeated it. So they, they ran yes. through the whole play, and then they ran through it again. Um, and you basically just follow the characters that interest you. So you just think, what's the deal with them? And the characters will often cross paths, and you have this interesting decision of being like, sometimes you'll be following a character, and then they will have a conversation with another character that you think is a bit more interesting. And so you then follow them all of the people in it all of the people who are like um participants in terms of not not the cast uh you have these wonderfully strange masks so you can't see anyone's faces and also so that the uh people seeing the play aren't ruining your immersion in yes. fact they're adding to it because there's an enormous crowd of creepy masked people who are stalking around like horrible ghosts yeah well, you are like you effectively are ghosts. You well, don't really exist. So I saw the punch drunk performance of Faust, and um, I even found my not just other people in masks, but myself in a mask, adding to the the, the creepiness and the experience. Yeah. Because you I've, hear your own breath. I, and- yeah, you hear your breath. I followed a uh, woman, uh, and in a sort of lapse, <laughs> I know it sounds awful, and it is right because yeah. I yeah. Um, uh, was like, I wonder where this lady is going, and then she ends up in a in the bedroom of her apartment, and she just went to sleep. And I was the only actor, sorry, audience member. Well, I mean, you kind of become an actor, right? I'm, I'm the audience audience member there. And I'm just looking like a plague doctor stood at the foot of her bed, watching her sleep alone yeah, yeah. Uh, for a little while and then going, I'm out of here. I mean, that's something that's really worth bearing in mind is that you don't have many people watching these shows at a time. And 
uh, at the start of the the play, there tends to be a big scene with lots of the characters where there will be clearly a main narrative that will be identified. And you will find that lots of people who maybe don't go to a lot of theatre will just go and follow the main characters. And if you follow the main characters, then you will get like, you'll get a story. And so you tend to have this group of about 10, 15 people who are just following the main characters. But what's amazing is it means that if you're kind of like somebody who enjoys like going off on your own, you can quite easily just find someone that no one is following and just be the only person watching them. And it's very strange. Or, or there are times where there's just people acting and maybe no one's watching them. But then it means, <laughs> and that can that happen. didn't occur to me, yeah, of course. And I had that happen one point, actually, because at one point I detached and I had no one to follow because they do a very interesting thing where they try and encourage people to not follow the same character all the time Yeah, by having moments where the characters will just suddenly grab one of the people near to them. And it's, you know, it's, it's clearly consensual in a way that will make sense. Basically, like, I got told before I went, the trick is to look. When the, if they start looking around and looking at people, you want to stay really close to them and they'll make eye contact with you. And if you hold that eye contact, no matter how intense it seems, then you've got a really good chance that they'll pick you to go and do thing. And they have these special one-off scenes where you will basically get, they'll grab your hand and they'll take you off. And they'll often take you into a room and lock the door behind you. So that <laughs> the, the group of people following this storyline are now just hit with a locked door. And you're like, oh. And, and then you just have to wander off and find something else to do. And then so much of the delight of these shows afterwards is piecing together what you saw with your friends, sharing that, making it a very social experience. Not just, what do you think that meant? Which you might say in a like a piece of difficult art, but saying, what did you see? What did you see? Yeah. And, and trying to piece together like anything. Like, I came away from it with very vague stories, but I loved it. So I'm going to talk about something a bit different now, So which is still interactive theatre that will show just how much uh, these worlds are colliding and need to collide more because, my God, they're so exciting. So uh, in case it's not clear, not only do Matt and I love interactive theatre, but we're both deeply aware that it is game design. What Punch Drunk do is set design. But my friend told me about, uh, 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 there was an experimental piece of theatre by a theatre student that he got to attend while he was in San Francisco for GDC, and it was just about the most excited I've ever got hearing anyone talk about anything. So this is a one-person, one-actor play. You pay your money, you go in, and you are sat in what is a lot like a confessional, like a very small room with a glass uh, sort of door, but with like a little curtain Mm -hmm. that lets you talk to the actor. And the plot of this uh, show, this show slash game is that you are the coroner arriving in a town and you need to find the next of kin of a certain character and this town you're given a list of like the 200 inhabitants of this town or whatever this is all coming secondhand from me um so i might get some details wrong but one character maybe even at random is killed from the town and you need to talk to different characters to get to this next of kin and the way you do that is talking to the actor you know the actor will say you you know you walk into a bar um, and uh, you see such and such a person, and the actor will take on the role of that person, the bartender or the, the policeman or whoever you want to talk to, and then you just role-play with them. You can't give away your backstory because you're not allowed to let on that someone's dead unless they're the next of kin. Mm-hmm. And then whenever you leave or go to a different location on your like quasi-map, as if you're playing a role-playing game, the actor closes the curtain, will refresh themselves on the detail of the character that you're talking to next, and we'll pull back the curtain and you're talking to a different character, but that's played by the same actor. <laughs> so over the course of an hour and talking to lots of different people in this imaginary American town, you will zero into the next of kin. And then finally, the denouement of the whole play is you telling someone that their next of kin is dead <laughs> and, and getting that response. And uh, and also this play can be like reshuffled depending on who dies or like yeah. your ability as an actor or a role player. 
So you're given a secret, you're given a story, you're given a unique story, you're given a crazy experience. Uh-huh. It still feels like theater, kind of, but it's so much closer to a game. Yeah. And where this stuff is meeting is like the just the most exciting thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting that you talk about like, you know, Punch Drunk being set design. A lot of it is like amazing performances. The actors are incredible, but it reminded me so much of of BioShock and in the fact that like there was one point I was just wandering down corridors on my own just with weird noises going on. And the weird noises were not just there like being pumped out for atmosphere. They were scenes through the walls that I was not aware of. And it was genuinely frightening. And just looking at these details and, you know, there are like written notes and you can just, you can have a character who will open a drawer, look at a book and then put it back in the drawer and leave the room. And you can, if you want, just not follow the actor and then just look at the book. And I know there are people who just, who will go and it's, ridiculous expensive to do this but who will just keep going again and again and again and again and again just to try and piece together the whole thing and it's a kind of a shame actually because one of the reasons we we're going to answer this question we decided last week after playing a bit of the sexy brutal and it's it that as we've already said wasn't exactly the sort of game week we thought it was but i think i'm still waiting for a game like this where it's like a short game that you keep playing again and again and again from different perspectives until you work out what the hell is even going on? I mean, we are getting close to some stuff like that. I mean, weirdly, it came from the desert, which we talked about yeah, last exactly. episode. Or the episode before is uh, a little bit of that, that Groundhog Day thing. Hitman has a touch of that, if you see stuff and don't initially understand it. But here's the thing. Everyone talks about Punch Drunk, you know, like, and they are the most successful example of this, but lots of different theatre companies are doing this. Yeah. And it's so vital for this that we don't get stuck into the idea of that punch drunk equals interactive theater. No, yeah. Punch drunk is like this very suddenly popular reveal of a genre that humans just haven't even explored yet. Yeah. That is so close to video games that you could do as a video game that all the lessons taught in video game to do with pointing players in the right way, environmental cues, storytelling, branching narratives, ethical decisions, all of that can be done in a play. Well, I mean, Yumi Bum Bum Train is something which is like almost like the equivalent of what happens when you take video game logic and apply it to real life. (laughs) Of it just being like, you are the protagonist. So sorry, do you want to give the name of this again so people can try and get tickets for it and fail? I mean, I don't even know if they're doing it anymore. I think they might have, I don't know, Yumi Bum Bum Train, which is a ridiculous name. It came from apparently, it was a chat up line, was was said by somebody Spanish to one of the women, the woman who was (laughs) one of the two people who runs uh, this thing, which is, I think, an adorable chat up line. Um, that makes no sense. But yeah, this is a weird theatre thing that I've been to a couple of times over the past like decade, and I'm not even sure they're doing it anymore because it's incredibly intensive and incredibly, like Punch Drunk, incredibly reliant on a lot of volunteer work because it's just these ridiculous scale things. But the idea with that is you are you're effectively like the protagonist of reality, and you just go through rooms to rooms and go it's through like a, strange tunnels. It is like tunnels. a long train. Like. It's like being in a dream, basically, where you... you but, but structurally, you're going from room to room and there's only over one entrance and one exit. Yes. But often, like, the way you will enter an exit will be strange. Like, so you might be like... You might climb through a hole in the ceiling and then you'll be coming out of the bottom of a room. And it's it's very dreamlike in terms of you'd be like, and then I was in a cupboard, but then I crawled through and then I was in, like, a, a church. And, and it at one point you went from a sauna to a... To a bank, and <laughs> and it is when you recollect it, it sounds like you're making stuff up, or it sounds like you are um, like remembering a dream. But in this, it's like it's it's funny how it is. Thinking about it, it's just like a video game, but for life, where like video game turns up and it's like, hey, 
it's the rebellion and you're our, our leader and you're really good at everything and, and everyone's like, you're the best. And yeah, you said you walked into one room and it was a bunch of soldiers who were standing at attention and would just do whatever you said. I worked in that for, for months. I was there and like people just, I was one of the soldiers and people would come in and they just shout like, get on the floor and give me 20 and we just, we would. Whatever people said, asked us to do, we would do it because that room was all about the, the idea that, because you start to work out, because the idea is that whatever the circumstance is, you are always the most important person in the room. And so people walked in and they just knew they were, most people just knew they were general. And they might give you, <laughs> they might give you a rousing speech about what your commitment meant, or they might just, um, a lot of women would actually just come in and say, drop and give me 50. And you could just tell they were loving it. Or a lot of them would just tell us to take all of our clothes off. And we couldn't do that, but we take a lot off. Um, yeah, and it was great. But again, it was that wonderful thing of like, the things I remember the most, like one of them was like a board meeting and they were like, oh, so you've got the, the new slogan for the new ice cream range? And you're like, yeah, of course I do. It's, <laughs> and you just, whatever you said, everyone was like, oh, that's genius. And it, it was wonderful. It was basically, that's what it's like in a video game of, of. It's the Mass Effect thing of you have two choices as captain, but whatever you choose is correct. Exactly. It's like in video games, actually, you're the guy who's running in circles or getting stuck on rocks or just like, <laughs> but in, everybody treats you like, yeah, no one's like, you're right, Commander. Like It's always just implicitly suggested that you are, you're doing well. Or if you're not, it's a plot beat. But yeah, so that's kind of wonderful. And I think there's a lot of space for that. But you're right. I think it's... At the moment, a lot of this stuff is really borrowing from video game design well, and game design. Here's the thing that I uh, am craving, right? I Like, I, the people who make, you know, Gone Home, like, uh, great, Fulbright Studios, yeah. who are currently making the space Gone Home. It's Tacoma. Not, it's not like... Tacoma? Tacoma, thank you. It doesn't look that much like Gone Home. It looks really no, good. I think very it's different. Excited. Looks very different. Anyway, um, but like those guys, if you you know took um, the creative leads from that and the level designers from that and then gave them to like, an ambitious young creative theatre company. Can you imagine what they would make? Yeah. Can you imagine what the Firewatch team would make, given a real space and like you know a, a, rep- a bunch of repertory actors? Like it's it just makes me so excited because I can't imagine what it would look like and stuff that I can't imagine what it would be like to experience is like as me tired critic who's been writing about this stuff for so long. Like though it, I can't imagine. But it. the stumbling block here, and it is the thing which is stopping this from being a thing, is actors. And I mean, it's, it's fascinating, actually, at the moment. You like, mean improvisation? No, no, I don't. I mean, um, I mean actors. And I think it's really quite telling that all of the games that have like the most fascinating narratives and the things that work the most usually find ways to actually avoid you ever having to have um, any face-to-face um, interactions with with human characters. You mean the best examples of interactive theatre? No, no, no. I mean games. Like, I mean that's the oh, thing right. is like you know, punch drunk and, and things like this. Other interactive theatres, you can have actors. You can have great actors who can convey human experiences accurately however you know, gone home like you know it's audio oh you're talking like, about the other way i was imagining the know. real life installations you're imagining the video games that borrow from these theatrical experiences yeah that's what i mean is like when you when well, see, it's fun both ways no it is it is but it's it's a really interesting technical um like bottleneck and it's something that that is like where you have you have these experiences but they are different like you have experiences where like you know even bioshock like you you very only very briefly meet a human character who talks to you face to face in that game. Well, like, this is it. So, like, again, so until we breach that technical bottleneck, um, my thing is that, like, uh, so if people have finished Gone Home, you always wonder if there's going to be a real person in the house at the end of Gone Home. Yeah. And then the thing is that technically, you kind of know that that's not going to happen because the engine can't do it. But until we breach that bottleneck, imagine Gone Home but made in a real house. 
No, exactly. And so it seems like a, until video games can do humans, let's do a lot of this video game stuff with humans in a real space. And then when the tech beats it and VR gets there or whatever, then we can go back to virtual reality for these deeply human stories. How about? No, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And I think it's like, it's just that is the, the, the strength point that a lot of these interactive design, game design things have. Is just being able to have that. Like, I mean, and the, the ways we get away from it, like even Firewatch, like you're on a radio, like even System Shock, you know, it's like, it's really clever ways of just keeping you a little bit distant from representations of humans because that is where games just, just have so far to go. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to do something selfish at the end of this, uh, at the end of this podcast. I'm going to say, if you're in the UK and you're aware of any interactive theatre that Matt or I should go to, then why not drop us a link and we yeah, can do get some tickets because we're hot for this stuff. Or if you've been some of these things yourself and you just want to talk about them, then go to coolghost.net and uh, you'll have a little comments thread beneath this episode of the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, then you'll also find your link in the description, which will take you directly to that page so you can chat about this episode of the podcast. Matt, our commenters are so funny. They are. If they you're are. listening to this and you're a commenter, you're so funny. Or smart. I keep learning things all the time. It's I'm really absorbing the information like a big evil sponge. And one day, I will rule this world. You'll release all the information in an explosion of information. That's what it'll sound like. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years of information released in one sort of... Ah, oh, that's better. <laughs> there you go. Matt has now become the size of a human baby. It was always going to end like this. Thank you very much for listening to the Dark Souls podcast. If you've really enjoyed this podcast, uh, you can do a bunch of things. You can come to coolghost.net, as we mentioned, and just say hi and say what you think. Leave a cheeky comment. You could, if you've got iTunes or an iPad or an iPhone, go onto iTunes page for our web podcast. But Matt, that's tedious. I'm not going to do it. I know, and that's fine. No, that's not what you say. It is oh, tedious, I, but it, it's not as tedious it as It is you tedious, think. but it's not as tedious as you think. Really? What do I say next? You say so. Just do it. Thanks. Um, alternatively, if you like this podcast and the other stuff we do on CoolGhost.net, then you might consider supporting us on Patreon because we don't do any advertisements or sponsorships or anything. And occasionally people offer, but we just don't do Maybe it. Maybe you don't think that this podcast is worth a dollar an episode, but no, you do fine. think it's worth like five p an episode. Mm, I don't know if you can do that, but no, you can't. But here's the thing: we've <laughs> done ninety episodes, so ah. ninety times five p is like. $5. If you think it's buck. great and you want to see it continue, then that's the way you do that. Uh, finally, though, of course, if you don't want to do any of those things and you're sitting there going, nope, no, nope, shaking your head back and forth <laughs> like a, like an angry dog. Imagine that person. Imagine being fine. told, can you, can you pay us money? And be like, no way. Well, that's fine. I understand that. But, you know, one thing you can do if you don't do it already is uh, maybe just check out Cool Ghosts. Maybe you just listen to podcasts and don't watch the videos. You should watch the videos. Some of them are really fun. Matt does actually do a spectacular job of editing the Don't Step on My Childhood videos. And uh, if you enjoyed like our talk about Constructor this episode or our chat about Jill of the Jungle, there are some more uh, emotional responses to those video games. A little more swearing and jokes and disgusting observations on the videos themselves. Thank you, as ever, for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Oh, it's fine, it. man. I, just, I don't mean I, you. I mean, the, I mean the people listening. Oh. Thank you for listening. Um, I was... Bye. Bye. <laughs>